Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today is Daniel Schaefer, our investment banking correspondent. And down the line from Brussels, we have Peter Spiegel, our Brussels bureau chief. This week, we'll be taking a look at the €10 billion bailout of Cyprus, which sees bank deposits being tapped to help pay for the rescue for the first time. We'll discuss the results of the second leg of US stress tests as the Fed orders Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan to improve their capital planning. And finally, we'll talk about the pay at UBS as the bank reveals that it awarded Andrea Orchel, the head of its investment bank, almost 25 million Swiss francs when it hired him from Bank of America last year. First, though, going to Cyprus, as I say, Peter Spiegel is joining us down the line from Brussels. So, Peter, um, thanks very much for joining us. The markets today seem to have been rather spooked by the details of the Cyprus bailout plan, particularly the levy being applied to depositors. Do you think this is a a lasting phenomenon or is it just an inevitable uh, blip on the day? Well, I mean, I, I think it remains to be seen once we see what the reaction is when Cypriot banks reopen. Let's remember that Monday is an actual holiday in Cyprus, pre-scheduled. Uh, yes. There is a, there's a, a, potentially a bank holiday again on Tuesday. And, and frankly, this could go further if the Cypriot parliament has problems passing the legislation. It should also be noted that there is a bank holiday in Spain as well, which many people feel is the, potentially the largest place where we could have contagion. If, if Spanish bankers wake up tomorrow and decide that, hey, if they could do it to Cyprus, they could do it to us. We see a bank run in Spain. Obviously, that will have uh, long-term effects. But frankly, if, if neither of those things happen, this could be a blip. I mean, it could be yeah. a bad message sent to private investors in Europe who got spooked, of course, last year when their money was taken through the Greek debt restructuring. But it could be a short-term thing if we don't see the kind of bank run that a lot of people here in Brussels fear. What some analysts are taking, the, the bright view, if you like, that some analysts are taking on this is that, yes, depositors might have been hit, but actually senior bondholders haven't been, or uh, that certainly don't seem to be at the moment, which is maybe more encouraging than some might have feared, given the well, precedent set in Ireland uh, recently. There's a very big caveat with that, though, that it is true that only junior bondholders were hit, but the amount of senior bondholders in Cypriot banks is minuscule. It's somewhere around 180. 80 million with an M. So that is not really something that I think you can hang a, a hat on. And just to compare uh, that to the deposit uh, amounts we're talking about, the, the levy would get close to 6 billion, I think. Close to six billion, and if you look at even even junior bondholders, they're going to get fully bailed in, and that's about one point four billion. So it's a quirk of the Cypriot banking system; doesn't exist in other countries. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, the problem you have to remember is is that the eurozone is moving in this direction. Yeah. Uh, it was verboten to do it in in Ireland. They never bailed in senior bondholders to the great dismay of the Irish government and obviously the Irish voters. But they considered it during the Spanish program. Remember, Spain has already applied for and is, is getting forty billion euros in aid to help recapitalize its banking sector. There was a debate about whether to bail in senior bondholders in Spanish banks as part of the restructuring. 
the ECB in particular was newly open to it when this happened last year. They decided not to do it. But look, I don't think the fact that in Cyprus they didn't bail in the 180 million euros of senior bank debt is all that encouraging for uh, an investor the now who holds, who, no. holds, who holds debt in, in Eurozone banks. What about the depositor precedent that's been set here? As we're saying, it's kind of bad news for depositors, perhaps, uh, certainly in, in Cyprus. But does it do anything to upset the broader agenda of EU reform? I'm thinking particularly about banking union, this kind of pan-Eurozone uh, mechanism that everyone's working on busily behind the scenes to try to recreate a genuine Eurozone for uh, a single market for banks. But uh, one of the key th- elements of that proposal, uh, along with uh, joint uh, supervision of the banks across the region and, and a kind of common resolution regime, was the idea that depositors would get preference over other creditors in a crisis. This seems to go in precisely the opposite direction. This is exactly the topic that is, of those in the inside of this discussion here in Brussels, that is being most discussed today. I mean, obviously, there's the general outrage. But if you go beyond that outrage of what happened in the deal, the cognoscenti here in Brussels are really focused on that. Can we actually progress with this banking union, as you suggested, if we've just decided that depositors are going to jump the queue? There's a huge debate going on right now. There's a, there's a, a, a bank resolution plan that has been put forward by Michel Barnier, the head financial services commissioner, put forward last year, uh, about to standardize how this is done across the EU. And it's currently being debated by EU ministers and by the parliament. And this is exactly what the debate is about. Where in the hierarchy do you put everyone? You know, obviously, you start with equity holders, you put junior bondholders in there, then senior bondholders, and, and depositors were supposed to be the last one. Well, now, frankly, we've seen depositors sort of jump the queue. Mm. How can you move forward with a full-blown banking union in which we're going to have a, you know, supposedly a Eurozone-only bank resolution authority when we clearly now have blown that out of the water? So, so amongst the cognoscenti, against the people who are rather serious about about this future and, and the impact of Cyprus on, on future events here in Brussels, this is the focus. We've got Sharon Bowles, who is the, the Liberal Democrat in the European Parliament, who's chairman of the Economic Committee there. She's been, frankly, outraged about it all day on this. She's been tweeting about it. She's been putting out press releases about it. Uh, she thinks this is the real serious long-term impact that the Cypriot bailout will have on the EU writ large. That it undermines the whole idea of a banking union. Well, that certainly would have some ramifications for broader sentiment that goes beyond today and, and the, the, the kind of falls in equity prices that we've seen and the, and the spreads of insurance on bonds widening out. So I hope your reading of it, to start off with a more optimistic view that it might be a blip, is the accurate one. Uh, Peter, thanks very much for joining us. We should move on now to our second topic of the day, uh, which is the US stress test measures that have been taken uh, under the auspices of the Fed. We talked about this last week, Daniel, and we th- basically there were preliminary results that indicated that some of the banks would have to moderate their plans for dividend payouts and share buybacks in order to be able to get through the full tests. That second phase is now over. What have we learned? Of the 18 banks that were stress tested, you have to remember that one of them failed the first test, which was all about shock to the system and how, how their capital position would react. This was Ally Financial. Yeah, relatively small, yeah. state-owned yeah. Um, yeah. This time in the second phase, where it was about the capital planning and how much they can redistribute to shareholders, it was a slightly different picture with two banks failing, uh, one of them again being Ally Financial mm-hmm. and the other one, BB&T, a smaller regional lender. 
together. And two had basically, one could say, incomplete or did pass the test, but they had to make amendments. And these two were surprisingly JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs, right. which are considered to be among the strongest banks on Wall Street. Absolutely. So they'd just been too ambitious, basically, in what they planned to give back to their shareholders. Uh, well, one part of it is that, but the main part is why the Fed has not given them the, the full pass was uh, because they had big gaps between their own in-house risk and capital planning and the Fed's stress test scenarios. At JP Morgan, for example, JP Morgan itself forecasted a pre-tax loss of 200 million under the stress test scenarios, whereas Fed came up with the loss of $32 billion. So there's a massive difference there. At Goldman, the difference was slightly less marked, but still there was a big difference as well. So what's the net result of this? I think JP Morgan, which had been planning another big buyback this year, that they're having to slash that plan. They did plan from a start, they did plan a, a smaller buyback uh, program than last year, $6 right. billion instead of $15 billion, because already in the first stress, as it, it was clear that, that their capital position wasn't among the best. Right. But, but so the, they, the main thing really for them is they sort of have to rework their capital planning processes and by the third quarter of this year. So it doesn't really change anything in their dividend or share buyback program they have. So, so in that sense, the, the consequences are not major for them. More technical than yeah. uh, and anything uh, more substantive and therefore nothing hopefully for shareholders to worry about. Yeah, and all in all, one can say that actually the, the stress test this time around was quite a positive for the US banking system in that it showed how overall more resilient the banking system has become with, for example, Citigroup and Bank of America, those two banking giants that received a state bailout during the financial crisis, were allowed for the first time to start buying back shares again. Right. A significant milestone and uh, highlighting once again how the US recovery is at a very different stage for, from that in Europe, where stress tests are still focused on levels of capital being sufficient to uh, cope with real-time losses rather than uh, any imagined ones and, and, and kind of being, uh, as we said before, the US uh, exercise therefore focused on dividends and, and buybacks. Yeah. Um, our final topic for today is pay, as often it seems to be. We had news last week of a couple of key figures coming out of UBS. Firstly, a generous pay package for its chief executive. Secondly, an even more generous buyout for Andrea Orchell the uh, now head of investment banking and formerly big deal maker at Bank of America. He's basically got 25 million Swiss francs buyout. What have you uh, discovered behind the scenes, Daniel? What's been going on there? Why, why are these numbers so generous? Well, firstly, Andrea Ocell, um, he was bought out of Bank of America, his longtime employer, and where he simply had quite a lot of deferred but not yet paid out share as well as cash awards. And simply given that UBS wanted to hire Andrea Ocell, who's seen as a star dealmaker, they had to give him a replacement for that. And that, that was worth... 25 million. Yeah. So it just really shows how the new rules on deferrals in the banking sector can at times make it much more expensive to buy out somebody from a rival. So what used to be a guaranteed bonus for the future that they would give them mm. is now sort of the legacy of the past that they have to pay them in order to poach them. Well, that number certainly sounds like a hark back to pre-crisis levels of, of pay. Indeed. Um, 
Then the other interesting number is Sergio Motti, the chief executive, and the the package that he's been given a far less generous number, uh, but still compared to other chief executives of banks these days, pretty much in the pack, uh, nearly nine million Swiss mm-hmm. francs in total. A lot of it's it's all very complicated. The structures of it, a lot of it is deferred and, mm-hmm. and reliant on performance, but still the number is pretty big uh, yeah. for a loss-making bank that has yet to deliver on its strategy. Yeah, I mean, some analysts we've spoken to were saying, actually, I mean, given that UBS made $2.5 billion in losses last year, given that they paid $1.5 billion for the settlement of the LIBOR manipulation, and also given that this strategic shift that UBS has made last autumn when Sergio Motti, the CEO, announced that it would cut 10,000 jobs as well as pruning the investment bank uh, drastically. Everybody's saying this all still will have to pay off the strategy. It's not yet proven that it will work the way he envisages it. Given all those factors, there are a lot of analysts saying basically um, the, the fact that he got 8.9 million in salaries and bonuses seems quite a high number. Particularly if I com- compare him to, say, Stuart Gulliver at HSBC, who made 1.6 million more than Sergio Motti, mm-hmm. but his bank has made 15 billion of pounds profit. in profits yes. in, in the past year versus the 2.5 billion loss that UBS made. Well, I suspect shareholders will be watching very closely to see what UBS's profits do over the next uh, couple of years. Um, that's it for this week. Uh, all that's left for me to do is to thank you, Daniel, and also Peter in Brussels, and to thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Martin Staber. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.